Kat Thompson is a Bangkok-born, Los Angeles-raised writer. Her work has appeared in Food and Wine, Munchies by Vice, and more. She is currently a senior staff writer of Food and Drink at Thrillist, where she covers everything from grocery stores and quick-service restaurants to chef profiles and cookbook debuts. Her favorite topic to cover is Thai food. When not eating or writing about eating, you can find her playing Settlers of Catan, Cooking, and Reading. Yes. Okay. Hi, Kat. Hi. Hi, Lauren. <laughs> Hello. Um... <laughs> Hello. It's, it's like, we're already starting on strong. I love it. Um, I'm so excited for you to be on my podcast. Literally, um, we met in December through a mutual friend of ours who is a fabulous, fabulous human being. Yeah. And we also... We got COVID together. We got COVID together. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> just a great memory, you know, literally love it. I'm just like all about the, the core memories. <laughs> like and just having bonding. a great hot, hot, we were having lovely hot pot dinner as one does in the middle of December. And then yes. five days later, we're like, Hey, are you feeling unwell? Oh, because so-and-so is also feeling unwell, and now we're all feeling unwell together. It was, yeah. Oh, my gosh. And then I remember, like, um, Tony, he, like, posted on his story. And then I remember I had another friend who I was, like, seeing when I came back to San Diego. And they were, like, um, like, it was before I knew that we all had COVID and, like, before people tested positive and stuff. And um, they are like, wait, weren't you just in L.A. with him, like, do you have COVID? And I'm like, oh my God, do I? It was like, cause I don't know. It was like literally those four of us and it was like one after the other, just like boom, 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 boom. Like yep. down for the count. But yeah. anyways, yes. <laughs> anyways, I'm like now it's April and holy shit. We literally have been in this. Okay. I'm like, cat, let me know. Okay. So I saw this thing. On your socials and stuff, maybe your LinkedIn, maybe I was doing a little stalkery, stalkery time. Ooh, ooh, ooh. And on your LinkedIn, it said, Bangkok born, LA raised. So that's, yeah. <laughs> it does say that. Yes. I think that's like all my author bios say that too. Amazing. Like, I yeah. love that. So I wanted to know what that means to you. Well, I feel like, um, I don't know. It's funny because like I was born in Bangkok and then we moved to LA when I was like a baby, but we always went back to Bangkok over like we lived there when I was like three and then we'd go back every summer when we were when I was growing up and then I lived in Thailand for a bit when I was in college and I think it's really important to me to like rep being Thai. I don't it's like such a core part of my identity and I, I am mixed, but it's like even being mixed, I always grew up with like my mom and my grandma and like being Thai was such like a fundamental part of my experience and being, being an immigrant also, you know, like my mom, she came here with me and my three brothers, my two brothers, there's three of us in total. When I think my oldest brother was like six, five or six. And then she always describes a story where she's like on the airplane and she's like pushing me in a stroll. No, she's holding me against her chest, pushing Andrew in a stroller and holding Matthew's hand. Uh, my brother as we're like getting onto the plane so oh my gosh. I just think like yeah like her oh sorry there's now there's someone in my kitchen distracting me <laughs> come on bro I told you I was recording something <laughs> can you just give me one second yeah of course just <laughs> like a stare so, down. oh sorry <laughs> it's okay so rude as I was saying um yeah like like being from Bangkok being an immigrant is like a, a huge part of my identity and and it is it does inform the way I think about my own writing and like what I do for work so it's important for me to let people know I'm from Bangkok the LA race part also important like LA is such a unique town to grow up in and I grew up in a city that was like a predominantly Asian enclave and I feel like a lot of people don't like there's so much talk of being a person of color where it's like oh I never fit in growing up or like oh the lunchbox story where people made fun of you and like Sure, I experienced like some of those things, but not to that extent because I grew up, my high school was like 70% Asian. So I always felt like really, um, maybe accepted is not the right word, but I felt among like my peers. I don't know. Mm -hmm. 
And also, what is like your other half? Just so people know. Oh, yeah. So my other half, my dad is um, English. It's always funny because I'm a British Thai citizen. So I'm a citizen of the UK. I'm a citizen of Thailand. I'm not an American citizen, so I can never vote. And people are always like, have you voted yet? Like anytime it's like voter registration time, I'm like, I really want to, but I'm a green card holder, but I support you guys. Um, But it's, it is definitely like a third culture identity crisis type of situation where you're like, oh, I'm British, but I'm not really, I'm culturally, I'm very American. I really identify with being an Angelino, but also very much with being Thai. So I'm like, what is my identity? But yeah, you know, everyone goes through that. I feel like. Definitely. I mean, um, I feel like I went through a similar experience to also being like, half Jewish and half Filipino and Mm -hmm. um I don't know I feel like I'm super curious about like what it was also like for you growing up because um I don't know like for me it was the opposite so I'm like super curious about just like like you said you grew up around your mom and your grandma and they were like the biggest influence so did you ever feel like you I don't know, like had like that, like British part of you, like missing or anything, or you kind of just like, it's there, but like, it's not like fully as strong as your Thai side. Yeah. Like I definitely had more of that. Like my, my dad growing up, he worked overseas, so we didn't really see him like too frequently. And it's not, there was like certain elements of being like English, like during Christmas time, we would have like mince pies, which um, I saw, this is like a total aside, but like mincemeat pies are, um, these pies made with like raisins and like a bunch of dried fruit. But <laughs> I think Americans don't realize what it is. So when they, I saw this, like a uh, food website had to, did a mincemeat pie recipe, but they did like literally minced meat, like ground beef or whatever. And it's like, no, that's not what it is. But <laughs> all that to say is like, we had like some elements of that. Like, um, I definitely feel like I'm a big, like tea drinker because of my dad, like classic you know English breakfast tea with milk and sugar I have that every day um and there's like little things but I never we didn't go to the UK as much I do have like one uncle there but I I think it might be a family thing too like I have so much family in Thailand and such a big family in Thailand whereas my dad's side of the family is a lot um smaller and so there's like not as many people to visit and so because of that we were constantly going to Thailand to see like my cousins my uncles like there's just like so many people like welcoming me with open arms over there um not quite the same in the UK when I do go I love it and I love to see my uncle but it's just like a a different culture and a different like yeah I definitely feel a much closer tie to my Thai side um and I think that's also just we like spoke Thai growing up all the time and we were always eating Thai food we were going to Thai town I went to Thai school every weekend um from like age five to like 14 or 15 so it was just like, it was like sort of forced upon me, but I'm, I'm grateful now because I can speak the language. And when I go back to Thailand, it's like, I can communicate with like my older family members and things like that. But yeah. Amazing. And you said that you went, you lived in Thailand when you were 18. Is that what you said before? No, I lived in Thailand when I was 21 or 20. It was when I was in college. I lived oh, okay. there for six months. Like for and study lived, abroad? Yeah. I studied okay. abroad um, in Northeastern Thailand in at this university called Kongen University. Um, and that was interesting because Kongen, you know, like people think of like Bangkok, it's a big city. And Kongen is one of the bigger cities in Thailand, but it's still very much like town vibes. So, and it's, um, yeah, a little bit like, it's like six hours away from Bangkok. So it's just different. It was more like more country-ish, a countryside, but it, yeah, it was a great experience. Like I love, I just love being in Thailand. I like being able to speak Thai and be around Thai people is just always really nice. Do you ever, um, I don't know, like have a thought come up where you kind of are like, what if it was like reversed? Sometimes, yeah. Like, or yeah, what if I was like growing up going to the UK? Is that like, is it wrong to be like, I'd be so less cultural? No. <laughs> the food would be worse. <laughs> like, No, like, not maybe, at all. <laughs> I'm like, I think that's, you know, yeah, like everyone, yeah. no one goes to the UK and it's like, I had like the most impressive, like, Sunday roast I mean like I love a good Sunday roast but it's so funny because um I remember very distinctly like the first time I went to England was when I was in fifth grade um and we went to see my I met my uncle Peter for the first time and we went for like a month and we did like a road trip like through the UK up to Scotland it was this whole thing which is like fine and fine and well but if you take like 
a Thai person like my mom and put her in the UK for like five weeks and we're only eating straight up like English breakfast every day, like eggs, toast, beans, fish and chips, mashed peas, like bangers and mash. Like honestly, by the second week, my mom, she's, she's a genius. She had like stuffed like Thai instant ramen packets like in her luggage. And so like every time like at the hotel, she'd be like, don't tell don't tell your dad like we're eating this like instant ramen <laughs> it, like it's like full meum flavored instant ramen like spicy salty sour it's like you can only eat english food for so long but maybe that's an ignorant thing because i haven't been there quite enough but i i don't know based on my experiences i'm like okay at a certain point you're like i i don't know growing up with thai food and thai flavors i'm like i I need to like eat that. <laughs> so yeah. 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 I mean, I feel like the UK like has like, like a, I don't know, like a maj paj. I don't know if that's the word necessarily of like different cultures where all the foods are like brought, but it's always like different when. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that's kind of like, you know, every major city is going to have their specialties. Like I think London has like really amazing Indian food and, you know, New York is going to have like great like uh Jewish delis and like uh Ukrainian food like foods I, I hadn't experienced growing up in LA but in LA I had really great like Mexican food you know or or Thai food or whatever so every city's gonna have their own specialties and I guess like whatever is like most comforting to you is gonna be like your favorite amazing so okay so take me through where you were um as you were graduating college yeah okay so you wow, had you had just like so you were 21 and you had just done study abroad for six months and mm -hmm. then came back from study abroad okay. I studied around my junior year I came back my senior year doing senior year of college yeah. whatever um I did have an internship which led me to like my first uh full-time job after college so I worked for this like men's streetwear brand um and it had like a fashion or it was a fashion brand but it had like a media outlet media arm so they did like some they had print magazines at the time I think they stopped doing it when I started working there but they had like an online blog um and I would write stories like music um art whatever like stories that they really needed but it was a lot of a lot of music and art and and um fashion pieces um so yeah, my first job out of college was as an editorial assistant covering like music, art and fashion. Um, it's funny because like my heart was always in food, but when you're working for like a, a streetwear brand, like there's, there are like ways in which like food can, there can be a connection, but you really have to find them. So I remember there was this one story where it was like this like pro skater opened up his own restaurant. I was like, I'll do that story. Like I'll cover it. So like, you know, you just have to find like the ways in which it makes sense. But um, yeah, that was my first job out of college. Um, following that, I, I worked in tech for a little bit. I worked at Giphy. That's how I met our mutual friend, Anthony. Um, and that was fun too. I was like basically making gifts of like Thai, like Thai culture, Thai cultural gifts. So I was making gifts of like Thai food, making gifts of, um, Thai, like TV shows, music, like, uh, celebrities, whatever was like popular at the time. Um, totally different experience from my writing gig. Did freelance writing for a little bit where I was just like cold cold pitching sending cold emails to like editors that I wanted to work with and then that eventually led me to what is my current job um as a senior staff writer at Thrillist so I've been at Thrillist for a little over three years now and yeah was that like was that excessive <laughs> I was like this is everything I did for the past six years or whatever no that was perfect <laughs> it's literally exactly like everything I had written down you like perfectly went through it so I was just like go off queen <laughs> check 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 like here's yeah. here's here's the resume yeah literally for a second I was like I hope she doesn't feel like she's in like a job interview right now I was like that's not what no I no 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 it's like oh Although wait a minute funny, like, yeah I don't know job interviews are always interesting because it's like tell us about your background and I'm like oh, well here it is literally you're like how many minutes are you giving me to tell you about my whole life cool yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> gonna try to be thorough yes um, yeah that's my that's my career background I guess <laughs> amazing so what is like a day in the life on average look for you as a food writer in LA yeah so I've been living in LA now for like six months I moved back from New York um and the day in the life of a food writer or like my typical day I feel like it well I'm working New York hours so I wake up at like 
7 a.m., sometimes 7.30. I hope I hope my editor's not listening. <laughs> I'm supposed to like work at New York 7, 7 to 3 p.m. hours, whatever. Okay. It's fine. Um, and I think like my first task of the day is to make myself a cup of tea so that I can prepare. I mean, after I brush my teeth and do all that stuff. Um, and then, yeah, my first actual work task, I like open up my email. Um, I, I don't know if you will believe me if I tell you this, but I straight up, let me look. I have 26,287 emails in my inbox right now. Um, and the reason that is, is because like, once you like start working in media, like the prep PR people like find you. Oh wait, you used to work PR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to oh work my PR. God, so you know exactly what this is. You know exactly what's going on. Oh my God. Yeah, I'm like, honestly, I'm staying coy, but like, keep going. <laughs> I'm like, I, have mm-hmm, so, yes. I have so much respect for PR people because um, it, I feel like it's a, it's like thankless work. Cause you know, like you have to please the clients, but you also have to please the media people. It's a lot of like that, but on, but I also feel bad. Cause I'm like, I have 26,000 emails. And the reason I have that is because like PR people email me like 30 times. Some, some of them like literally email me every single day. Like, even if I don't reply, I'm like, dude, just chill. Like, I, I'm sorry. I can't cover your like protein, your protein bars right now. Like that's not part of my, what's on my task. So I go through my emails. I like try to like filter out, find the ones that like I actually need to respond to. If I'm like interviewing a cookbook author or if I'm doing a story about a specific thing that's trending and someone's emailed me about it, like things like that. But go through my emails, um, look at like what my assignments are for the week. Like, do I have like when, it, when are my stories due? Like, what do I have? Um, honestly, my day-to-day changes depending on the day. Like some days I have interview schedule. Some days I just like I'm devoted to writing and like editing my pieces um and some days are like devoted to going this was more before pandemic but like going out to restaurants to eat things or like meet people um it's starting to happen again now like I'm starting like you said you're starting to have like interviews in person I'm kind of on the same boat where I'm starting to be able to meet people or go to restaurants and do things but um yeah it really varies day by day but it's really fun because it's just always constantly talking to new people which is yeah exciting and also eating a lot of good food so yes can't complain and so um for anyone who doesn't know what like (laughs) without going too deep into it um I'm just what kind of foods do you write about (laughs) yeah I can talk about that um yeah I cover like all sorts of stuff so I am a what's called like a national writer so I cover things that like are like that can appeal to a nationwide audience so instead of specifically being like oh try this new restaurant in LA or oh try this new like deli in New York I'm doing like oh I've noticed that there was a trend of like salted egg yolk flavor in chips and drinks across America like things like that Um, or if I am doing a a focus story on like an LA bakery say maybe they're sharing a recipe um, that like people across the nation can try attempt at home so it's like things that as a national writer I'm writing things that can appeal to like yeah all of America but on top of that like I think my beat I really focus a lot on um Asian food Asian trends um like what's happening in the Asian food landscape that's definitely one of my favorite things to write about just because I feel like it's a something I understand be something I'm more interested in exploring if I don't quite understand um and see, I don't know, I just like, it's nice to be able to like uplift small businesses in like my own community. So I'd say like Asian food is one of my main beats. Um, I also cover like Trader Joe's a lot, not gonna lie. I'd be doing some like Trader Joe's list or like yeah. grocery, s- serviceable grocery pieces for people. So if you ever see those like healthiest items to buy from Costco, you know, like I'll occasionally have one of those lists out there and that's just like part of the gig. Um, you know, SEO driven stories, but, um, yeah, my favorite things are profiling chefs and writing about small business owners in my community. Amazing. So, um, for trends and everything, how do you like figure out, like, is there any specific, I don't know, like media outlets that you look to or social media pages, um, to find all of the like trends and everything with like Asian food and culture and, yeah, I feel like it's definitely always having like your your ear to the floor or I guess your eyes to the social media. I don't know. Like you're always like looking <laughs> yeah. out for stuff. I'm like, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, like, I feel like just even scrolling through, I didn't, I tried to hold off for so long going on to TikTok because I was like, I know it's a time suck. Like I know it's going to blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But so many food trends start on TikTok now. And like, it's such a resource for people that I've now um, devoted my time to it. I, I really like it. I can't stop scrolling through it, but like TikTok is a great resource to find stuff like looking on Instagram and yeah, reading other um, publications. Like I love following what's happening on the kitchen, like Bon Appetit, like seeing what sort of like, yeah, flavors are trending or like ingredients, like what are people interested in? And even like um, the press email, like the PR emails I get in my inbox, like sometimes I'll, I'll have three PR, like this happened recently, like someone emailed me about a passion fruit cider and then someone else emailed me about a passion fruit um, sparkling water. And then someone else had emailed me about a passion fruit flavored um, cocktail or wine or something. And I was like, holy shit, everyone's like really into passion fruit right now. So like, if you just like start noticing these like things come up and you're like, wow, I think there might be a story there. Like, why is this pertinent? Or like, yeah, like salty egg yolk is something I mentioned, but I did a story specifically on like Asian salted egg yolk and how it's now like popular in chips. Um, Tarani, which is like the coffee syrup brand, they named that their flavor of the year and they made like a coffee syrup that's like salted egg flavored, um, which sounds like it would be, it sounds like it'd be like custardy or really tasty. Um, and then there's like other shops that use salted, you can use it in your congee, you can use salted egg yolk in your desserts. So it's like when you start to see things, these things or notice like a, tr- um, a pattern, then it's like, okay, I think there's a story there. So it's, yeah, just a lot of like reading stuff and looking at food content, which is like my favorite thing to do, even though that's part of my job. <laughs> yes. No, I mean, that's like the fun part of the job too, is like also being a consumer of the content. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of your favorite like people to follow, whether that's on TikTok or Instagram, just like some maybe people at the top of your head who are like, yeah, I look forward to when they post or anything like that. Yeah, there's this um, she's a writer. She used to be at Bon Appetit and now she's at Eater and um, her name is Bettina and she she has this like cooking Instagram called I think it's called Crispy Egg 420 and it's like it's just her cooking content, but it's like, A, it's so soothing to like, she has a TikTok and an Instagram. Like her TikTok is very soothing to watch. Like I really enjoy it. Um, and then her Instagram, like the photos are just really beautiful. And I feel like I get a lot of like inspiration for um, new dishes to cook. Um, I mentioned the kitchen earlier. That's not like a person, that's a, a, a food media brand, but their Instagram is like, so I like, yeah, I like think about like, if you want to model, if you want, if you were like a food brand and you want to model a food media brand and you want to model your Instagram after like someone's, I think theirs is like really effective and really good. Wait, um, who is it again? Say, sorry. It's the kitchen. The kitchen. Um, yeah. And it's K-I-T-C-H-N. I'm trying to think of who else. There's like a lot of um, like random TikTok people I really like to follow. I don't remember what her username is, but there's like this one who's like, a Vancouver mom like she's she's like a Singaporean van Singaporean she lives in Vancouver and she's a mom but she's always doing like cooking content and then she makes like content with her like teenage kids which is really cute but like they she does a lot of yeah food reviews and things like that I just like to see what people are eating like in various parts of the world um oh. and yeah what they're cooking there's another one I follow it's a chef Sorry, I'm just like naming. No, people, I love it. I, I love it. Keep going. Names. We love it. We love it. We'll we'll figure it out. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll send you the names. There's yeah. one chef on TikTok I enjoy following, and he, it's like it's like this white guy, this white dad, but his wife is Vietnamese, and but you can tell that he like cooks with such a sense of respect for the culture, which I really um, appreciate. And he like pronounces like I mean I'm not Vietnamese, so I don't know how the pronunciation is right, but all the comments are always like, "Holy shit, your pronunciation's so good." So I enjoy like seeing what they're cooking. Um, what he's cooking it's always like yeah I having people make recipes that are inspiring is like really nice um and then I'm trying to think of what else I'm really inspired by um cookbooks like ins- like instead of just looking at TikTok and stuff I like to like look through cookbooks too I actually am like balancing my my like laptop on cookbooks but like this oh is gosh. a new one I got amazing Korean American by Eric Kim is very good. Ooh. And then this one. <laughs> no, this is so on brand. I love this. This one, Mooncakes and Milk Bread. Like, if you want to learn how to make milk bread, this is so effective. Her name is Christina Cho. I actually like watching her. Her Instagrams are really good, too. Um, her Instagram is really good. But 
yeah that was a lot <laughs> no it's amazing you know that, i literally love it i love it great um so what has been some of your favorite parts of your job um so far i guess even though you've, yeah. you've been there for a couple years i've been there for three years and i feel like the best part of the job is definitely like all the people i get to meet I mean, of course, food is going to be a great perk. So I like get to eat a lot of good food and get a lot of snacks. um, And that's lovely. But I think meeting people and like talking to them about their experiences as a chef, as a pastry chef, as a cookbook writer, a recipe developer, or um, like a small business owner, whatever it may be. um, It's really nice to meet people and like also have them trust me with their stories. So I think a lot of times when I do interviews with people. Um, there's like a vulnerability in talking about like yourself and and being like upfront and apparent in both like struggles and successes and whatever it may be. Um, so just being able to relay that story to my readers and and tell a story that is like could be uplifting or can like champion someone who otherwise wouldn't be noticed by mainstream media or whatever it may be. Like it is a really like um, fulfilling part of the job is yeah, meeting people and telling their stories. And even though writing is sometimes really hard, like it's really a great medium for this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you are writing a story um, before that even happens, how does the story come to you? Do you pitch things to your editors? Do they bring things to you? How does that process work? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. I think, um, I'm lucky that in which I work with like an editor who is just like really open-minded and like down to try stuff. And like, I think that's not always the case. And I think if people do want to become writers, like definitely know your editor and like know what to pitch. We can get into that, like that whole (laughs) section too, if you want to, but yeah. um, Yeah. I'm like, definitely. I'm like, if you're down, I'm down. I would love to. Yeah. Right. If if anyone, let me know how. Yeah. Right. Like how to. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. I feel like I always get um, emails from like young writers being like, like, how do I do this? How do I do this? And I, I'm like super happy to um, help because I feel like people have helped me along the way. Um, but yeah, I think with my editor, it's like a little bit of both. Like I'll come to her. Hey, I noticed this. Like I noticed passion fruit is really hot right now. Or I noticed that like, oh, I saw this really cool bakery that's doing like X, Y, Z. Um And then sometimes she'll be like, oh, I noticed something. Can you like dig deeper into this? Or like, I want you to explore this. Um, But yeah, it's a little bit of both. But I think most of the time it's more me bringing stories to her. Um, And then once I bring the story and I get the green light to do it, then it's like, you know, making, if it's like a reported story, I'm making, I'm doing the outreach to make sure I schedule my interviews. Um, I really prefer doing like Zoom interviews or phone interviews over email interviews I'm sure like you understand why it's just like easier to connect with people yeah ask follow-up questions see their facial expressions yes. you know things like that um once that's done it's like transcribing thankfully I have like transcribing software now but I used to have to we talked about this yes yes oh my god I used to have to transcribe all my interviews myself and that that's literally like a whole day's worth of work like it's I think it's they say like one 15 minutes of of something it takes an hour to transcribe or something like that that sounds about so, right yep yeah like I was oh my god it used to take so long to transcribe all my stories so thankfully I don't have to do that myself anymore but then once the story is transcribed that's when I have to like start thinking of the story I approach it in a couple different ways like sometimes I have like a lead in my head like the intro what's going to be and I'm like okay I'm setting the scene da, 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 da. sometimes I feel like so uninspired that I'll have to go back through the interviews and I start like pulling quotes out and seeing like okay what what quotes do I know I want to have in the story and that really like show what this person's about. Um, but yeah, once that's done, it's like literally sitting down and forcing yourself to get the story out. And like, sometimes it's painless. Sometimes it's like, it's like, I'm flowing out of me, just like words I'm doing good. And sometimes it's like, Holy shit, I need to like lay down. And even after I've laid down, I have no idea how to approach the story, but I think anyone who's ever written anything, whether it's like an essay or like a paper for school or whatever, like, you know, it, it goes through phases. Like writing is not always a smooth, straight path, but that's kind of what makes it fun sometimes. Sometimes. What do you usually, yeah. What do you you usually do? Like, um, is, 
is that what help like helps like laying down like taking a second or are there other like tools that you use to like if you feel like you're maybe in like a creative rut or like something like that there's a couple things I use to approach like if I'm like on a tight ass deadline and like there's no room for laying down then I use like the um what's it called the Pomodoro method I have like an app on my phone where it's like you have 25 minutes on and then five minutes off. And it's basically like you focus for 25 minutes and just like try to do it. And you're not supposed to like look at any other browsers. You're just supposed to sit and, and write. And then you can take a break every, like after 25 minutes, you can tr- take a break for five minutes. Um, that has been effective sometimes. Cause it's kind of like, okay, I'm like really focused in on this piece and there's like nothing else I can look at if you have like the self restraint for it. But I will say like, sometimes a story just needs, like it just needs me to step away for a second like sometimes if I like, if I can't finish the story like that day and I like sleep on it the next morning, I'll wake up and be like, oh shit, this is what I need to do. And then it just like comes pouring out. Um, I don't know if, do you play Wordle at all? Um, I don't, but like obviously heard of it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I was going to say, it's like, sometimes I'm playing Wordle or Quirtle, which is like the four variation Wordle. And it's like, I'm looking at the screen and there's like all the jumbled words. And I'm like, I don't know what the fuck this is. Like, I literally cannot fathom it. And then I'll just step away from it for two hours and then I'll look at it again and be like, oh, ob- duh, it's right there. Like <laughs> the, the solution is right in front of me. So yeah, sometimes time just helps. Like being away from it helps. Um, What do you think also is like the difference like in that moment? Is it like maybe like being more stressed um, like in the moment and then coming back two hours later? Or like, what do you think the difference is? Is it like the mindset Yeah. I think it's like, it's fixation. Like I'm so fixated on one part of it. And I'm like, so zeroed in on this, like one piece where I'm like, I can't figure out the next word. I can't figure out the next sentence of this paragraph or whatever that I like, my mind can't see past like this one issue. But then as soon as I step away and have time, then I'm like, Oh, let me look bigger, bigger picture. Like, all right. Like this paragraph is talking about this. Like if I can't figure out this next sentence, I can still move on, write the, write the conclusion or write like something else. And then I'll circle back and be like, okay, wait, now like there's a way that I can weave in, weave everything together without um, being fixated on like the one thing I couldn't figure out. So I, yeah, I just feel like I I get too zeroed in on something that I get stuck. Um, But I mean, stress is, I'm sure like makes it worse. (laughs) So. Yes. What are your big profile stories? Okay. So I think the biggest one that I did, um, that honestly, it was like a little bit shocking to me that I got to do this, but I did a story um, with Sweetie and that was in October, October, 2020, October, 2021. Shit. When was that story? I, oops. (laughs) (laughs) I think that story was the way now I want to check. I think it was October, 2020, because it was, I remember it was Filipino history month. um, And Filipino American History Month. Um, wait, what is? I'm like I should know that. I should know American. Wait, now I'm like what? <laughs> what is it exactly called? <laughs> it's it's called sorry Filipino American History Month. Okay, I was right. I I didn't know if there was like a like Pacific Islander component or something. Anyways, <laughs> I did this story on um, Sweetie in back in October 2020, and her team actually. Um, approached me and they had said like, Hey, like it's Filipino American history month. And, um, you know, like sweetie would love to do a story with you about, about food or like, yeah, about her favorite foods or like growing up with Filipino food. And I was just like me, she'd like to do a story with me. Like, fuck yeah, let's do it. So, um, I got to chat with her, um, over zoom and this was right before, um, her single with uh, Janae Aiko came out. And I think this was before like, yeah, best friend Doja Cat era. So, you know, like this was like, it seems crazy now because you're like, oh, sweetie, best friend. But like, this was pre that. And um, yeah, it was amazing. It was just like so fun to connect with someone who was like so high profile and to talk about something like as grounding as, as food. You know, food is something that we all have to eat and we all have like a cultural connection to. So like even hearing her be like, yeah, I love Sinigang. Like that's my favorite thing to eat. And she, the way she was describing food was so fucking funny because she was like, I love it when in Sinigang, like the, the okra is so slimy. It feels like you're eating a slug, like an emperor's new groove. And I was like, 
Wow. That's like so highly specific, but I feel like if you're Filipino, you're like, yeah, I fucking love it when it's like that or whatever it may oh be. My gosh, yeah. Um, yeah. So sweetie loves Sinigang. And it's interesting because she's someone who is like, oh, I'm a picky eater. But then her favorite foods are like oysters and like things that people who are picky don't typically like. So she likes a lot of like tart, a lot of seafood. And it's like things that, you know, if you grew up in Southeast Asia, you're like, this is normal. And like, this is something I enjoy. So that was like a a big story that I got to do. Um, And then another really big story that was like close to my heart was I got to interview um, Chrissy Teigen's mom, Pepper Tai. Um, she had a cookbook coming out and that one was really special to me because I did that interview over Zoom and I got to do it in Thai. Um, and I feel like even she having, she was doing a lot of food press at the time, media, like, yeah, press at the time because her cookbook was coming out. But I think for her to have someone that could speak like her language and like we could have like a deeper conversation was like really meaningful, I think for both of us. Um, and just like hearing her experience, her experiences, um, really mirrored my, my mom's experiences. Like she grew up with a mom who like sold noodles from a cart on the side of the street. I'm like, Oh, that's what my mom grew up. Also our, she has the same Thai name as my mom, which I also thought was interesting. Whoa. I just got chills. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I was like, Oh my gosh, you're like my mom. Um, you're like, you could be my mom. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Hey, where is P Chrissy? Like where's big sis? Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, she was amazing to talk to and like just share stories. And like, obviously she, is really she really loves her culture and heritage and same so like getting to bond over that was was really nice and also it was so funny because that was a time when I had to transcribe my interview myself because it was in Thai so I was like oh my god I literally need to practice my Thai it was some parts were struggles but <laughs> it was fine amazing was fine. amazing um yeah. literally I'm like you're just so interesting I'm just like tell me more I'm like <laughs> You do so many cool stories and you're a cool person. So I'm just like, I'm like, what else? What else? What have you been working on since we talked last? That was like literally in, I think, January or something. Yeah. Well, I feel like I'm always working on like, I mean, I always have like deadlines and stories that are due. We have like a really fun um, package for like, I guess they're called packages when it's like a a big tent pole where there's a bunch of stories that like feed into this one theme. Um, but I can't talk about it yet because it's not coming out until May, but it is going to be coming out in May. And it is like a celebration of Asian American Pacific Islander heritage month, um, which is what may see. I was getting them confused. October oh, okay. is specifically Filipino. And then May is Asian American Pacific Islander. Either way. Um, we have a big package coming out next month, which I'm really excited about um, that. I've contributed a story to, um, I don't know. And then like, I think I have some plans to do some like traveling and do some reporting when I travel abroad in the future. And yeah, I don't know. What locations like, are I, you going to travel to? I'm just curious. <laughs> I'm like, well, me <laughs> if all goes according to plan, I was supposed to go to Iceland for this like Nordic food festival. Um, gotcha. I think that's happening now in the fall. And then like, I don't know. I was, I'm trying to go to Thailand at some point this year to hopefully like go for fun to see my family. But also I have like a couple stories I want to report out of Thailand that like I'd really like to do. Um, that's, that's, that's it for this year. But like, I'm, yeah, like I feel like traveling is like finally picking up and I just have so many like foods I want to try and like places I want to go to where I can like do more food reporting so that's the dream if anyone's out there listening and you holler at your girl like I'm willing to go anywhere I mean would you also like be someone who would like pitch different restaurants in these different countries that you're going to in order to maybe like have a little like something something happen I'm just curious maybe if it's not even for like your work but I don't know like I'm like do you have a separate thing like I'm like yeah I'm like how do we monetize I'm kidding (laughs) (laughs) yeah like I I personally don't have a separate thing at the moment but it's like we have like travel writers um at my company and like you know they obviously they go on a lot of press trips where they get invited to places but um every so often there's like press trips specifically geared towards like food and food writers um so like I had a colleague who went to like Vancouver recently, um, British Columbia and did like a story about British Columbia wines or like, she, I don't know, like food specific to that region. And um, 
So if there's ever like press trips that are specific to like, there was an invite to like uh, Tecate in Mexico to go to their like, um, where they make the beer and all that stuff. So if it's food specific, there's like occasionally there's invites. um, And then, yeah, you get to go and then like do the reporting, but it it really depends. Like things come and go, but things are definitely picking up back up because like during the pandemic, there was no like press trip invites or whatever. And now there's definitely like, several they're like hey do you want to go here hey do you want to go here do you want to do some reporting here I'm like yes I want to go everywhere please (laughs) yes what would you say also was maybe like maybe like one of the struggles and then one of the exciting parts about being a food writer um when you started in 2018 to being a food writer now in 2022 yeah I think I think one of the biggest struggles is definitely getting like your foot in the door. And this maybe can be like the part where I tell, I'll give you some advice or some things that worked for me. But um, the thing about when you're pitching to like editors, especially if you're a freelancer, which is how like everyone kind of starts. Cause you know, it's hard to get like hired right away if you don't have any experience, but beyond that, it's hard to get even like a story written if you don't have experience. Cause often when you pitch a story to an editor, you say like, hey, so-and-so, like, here's my background, here's my pitch idea, and here are my clips. Like, here are the examples of stories I've already written. So if you've never written any stories, then the editor's going to be like, they really have to take a chance on you. Um, I think the best way to go about this is to, like, follow writers and editors that you are, like, fans of and, like, you know, get to know their work, get to know what kind of, like, things they like to publish or, like, what kind of stories they're looking for. Um, That's, like, the best way to connect with them and then like so once you've connected with someone even if you don't have a clip then maybe they're like okay I've talked to you you've generated some good ideas like maybe this is an opportunity for you to like have your first byline or like write a story for me like it is a lot about chance and for me it was definitely a lot of cold emailing um so I would make sure to like actually find the right emails for editors like it's really hard to do like a hello at whatever.com because like that's like a void like it's so hard to like get an email there so like really do your research. Twitter is a great resource to finding writers and editors as emails. Um, but yeah, the biggest struggle is getting your foot in the door. Cause like, like I mentioned, like I was doing like fashion and art writing. So I, I had to like, the clips I used were like food, like related, but not quite food stories. So even then I had to have like editors take a chance on me, but that's the biggest struggle. One of the biggest struggles. Um, I will say, I think now, rather than in 2018, like in 2022, there has been this big like reckoning in the food media space on like whose stories get told and like who gets to tell them. And like people are, I think becoming more cognizant of like, I don't know, racism and whatever. So because of these things, I said racism and whatever. I mean, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I understand what you're saying. Like someone who like you, who is Thai writing about a Thai business. Yeah. So it's like, it's nice that they're like, oh, you know what? Like, let's actually have Thai writers write about Thai food rather than like white people write about Thai food. It's like people are more cognizant of that now. Yeah. yeah. So I'd say like, if you are like a a young writer and you like have a story you want to tell about your community, like I think editors now more than they were a couple of years ago are like open to those things. And it's one of those things where also authenticity used to be like a big word thrown around in food media where they're like, this is the most authentic place to get tacos. This is the most authentic Thai food. And like, we've all kind of realized that that's like a really like fucked up lens to look at food. Cause like no one recipe is authentic. The way your grandma makes sinigang is going to taste different from the way sweetie's grandma makes it or whatever, yeah. you know? So, and not one is like more authentic than the other. Yes. So like, I think people are more um, open to hearing stories that are specific to you. So like the cookbook author I sh- showed earlier, his name is, Eric Kim, like he has a very specific story being a Korean American growing up in Atlanta that would be different than a Korean American growing up in LA. And I have a specific story as like a Thai Angelino that's very different from the Thai people I know who have grown up in Alaska, you know, like there's just, we all have our, our own authenticity in, you know, whatever, whatever we do, you know, no one way is the right way to recipe develop or write a story or whatever. That was just the struggles, right? And then what am I writing? Oh, wait, I guess that's, that was both the struggles and the good part. Because the good part is now people are more open to those stories. So yes. I feel like, and I honestly, I say this to everyone, but I feel like anyone could be a writer. It is a skill that can be improved upon that 
anyone, if you know how to read and write, then you can be a writer. Like, I truly believe that. And it's something that the more you do it and the more you read and the more you practice writing, like the better you get at it, where it becomes like second nature. And you can actually almost start to look at some stories through like, you have like a formula that you know that will work for stories. Um, I try not to be formulaic in my writing, but I think everyone kind of has this thing. Like it's such a um, cliche, but like so many writers end their stories with like quotes from like their subjects. And I do that shit all the time. And I feel like everyone who's like a writer out there who is like a, a food reporter, like also does the same shit. Cause it's like, oh, how do I end the story? Well, I'm just gonna throw a quote out there, but I'm telling you it's effective, um, but it's funny yeah the more you write the better you get at it what are some stories or some like topics that you are really excited to see like having more of the spotlight on um things that are really i'm really interested in is like stories that are like hyper regional so like i love a story that's like about a very specific like we're like you know like using thai food as an example we're like oh thai food pad thai patsy whatever like that's been there done that like we we kind of know what that is but like if you like peel back the layers and you're like, there's like this one dish in Thailand, Northern Thailand, that's made with like red cotton flowers and like noodles. And it's like a soup. And that's like such a niche, niche dish, but there is a place in LA that serves it and makes it. And I feel like it's one of those dishes that it's hard to find in Bangkok, let alone in Los Angeles. And the fact that it even exists in America is like fascinating to me. So like, I love things like that. I love stories that kind of, um, intertwine communities or like people have found like ways to like celebrate like how do I how do I phrase this like for example <laughs> hold on I'm trying to think of a different example I'm like I have Eric Kim in my brain because his cookbook is right in front of me and I did a story with him and I love him and I think he's such an interesting person and he has a yeah, like I said he has a really specific point of view it's like a Korean American who grew up in Atlanta, but which is like, wow. I'm like, literally that's so different. Yeah. Like he had like this recipe that was like lemon pepper wings and it's like a Korean style fried chicken, but also lemon pepper because of Atlanta. So it's like, I love dishes like that, that tie like specific places and personalities into like one thing. And it's like things that are only unique to you and like very specific to you. And I'm like, I'm even, I mean like this example is boring, but like, because we all, you know, kind of know Kogi. Kogi has been around for a while, but like, I mean, not everyone, talkers. not everyone. I know what it is because like, I spent a lot of time in LA, but like for people who don't know, like tell them what it is. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Maybe I shouldn't, that was like, no, 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 you're fine. You're me. fine. I'm just like, <laughs> we know, but I'm just kidding. Yeah. But <laughs> like, okay, well, know. <laughs> yeah. It's like, um, the Korean, it's like a Korean barbecue taco truck, you know? And it's like, tacos with cream barbecue with kimchi it's a mash and like I like things like that where it's it that's something that exists very strictly in LA and it's a a culmination of like Los Angeles in a taco you know yes so stories about like hyper regionality and also about like things that are crossovers I'm really fascinated by um trying to think of like what other things really really like that's like what really catches my attention but like those are two of them. And then I also love like um, a good like small business owner story profile where someone has like, like there's a couple. So Mooncakes and Milk Bread, that um, cookbook I showed you, Christina Cho, she used to be like an architect's, ar- architect student. And like that was what she was doing. And then she was like, oh, actually, I want to pursue food writing. But she talked about the ways in which being an architect student kind of informed her recipe development because she was like, oh, I as an architect, you always have to think of things like very strategically, like in a specific order. And that made it for, that made for like really good writing from me, like as a recipe developer, like I can strategically tell my readers like how to cook this um, bread. And I had like a similar interview with a different um, Korean food blogger who she used to be a computer scientist, but she's using like her, her experience in computer scientists and writing code and writing recipes. She's like, oh, I know how to put things in an order that makes sense. So like stories where like these interesting crossovers that you didn't expect from people like, but translate into the food world. Um, that's really captivating to me too. Amazing. No, that's so cool. I literally like, yes, no, I love that. Also because we're like two different cultures. And so like, I don't know, it's nice to feel seen if, even if it's not exactly in like the specific way that we are like, 
how our, yeah. our cultures and everything but to know that that's happening is really exciting yeah oh kogi 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 truck kogi yeah, Roy Choi is the yes, chef. Yes, Roy Choi. Yeah. Oh, my God. So I feel like, okay, just like taking back to that for a second. I feel like when that came out, I'm trying to think. It wasn't even like too, too many years ago like that that truck came out. I feel like, like wasn't that like 2008 or 2009 or something? I feel like it was, well, now I'm not. Yeah, now I'm like, now I need to know, I guess. So I'm like, now she's Googling I'm, it for I'm us, curious. everyone. <laughs> I'm Googling it. Found in 2008. I was right. Okay, wait. So then I just feel fucking old right now. It's fine. <laughs> no, Because I, I remember, remember seeing that in like- L.A. Like when I was like, I guess a kid visiting L.A., visiting like old. But that was like so yeah. exciting. I remember when that like happened, that came out. Like people were like, oh, my gosh, like what a cool concept. It's so different, blah, blah, blah. And I feel yeah. like that's definitely like, a, I don't know. Like, I want to say it's, like, right time, right place, but also I feel like it's more about, like, him being one of, like, I would say the pioneers of, like, normalizing this type of cuisine and, like, intermixing all these different cultures and creating, like, your own interpretation of what that means to you. Um, Yeah. Like, I think he was creating his own experience, like, as a Korean American who like situated in Los Angeles like yeah um and that was that was an interesting time 2008 too because I feel like that's when there was a lot of like it was like a food truck boom because I also feel like there was like there was a sushi burrito truck yes that used to be like really popular and yeah people were trying to do like everything interpreted in a new way which like like it's funny because like that seems more tired now because it's over like it's over a decade later but you know like at the time like you said it, it was so like unheard of and exciting and I think that there's constantly new things like that happening like there's this chef who I kind of said this earlier like the the underdog or whatever um small businesses but there's a a chef her name's Lauren Tran in um New York she's a pastry chef and she she got like laid off during the pandemic like so many people in the industry did and she used her like her like she has she has traditional French training in, in pastries and she used that to make Vietnamese desserts because there's like not that many Vietnamese dessert shops in New York so it's like you can take something that you know personally like she truly knows like French patisserie and like put your own spin on it as like a Vietnamese American woman so I just yeah I love shit like that it's it's an embodiment of who you are and that's that's exciting and cool yes um so one of the things I was thinking about that now finally just came back to me um (laughs) was so for the people you've interviewed um, who have, like the person you mentioned who was an architect or was in computer science, um, have you noticed like maybe like a trend or anything within their story of their career um, as like a moment in time when they were like, okay, I'm not doing this anymore. Like I'm going to go pursue this thing and it's a risk, but like, I'm going to do it. Like, I'm just curious about that too. Yeah. I feel like in all the people I've interviewed that have had these similar stories where they're like one that I did recently, like he was an engineer, like a mechanical engineer. And then he also left to pursue food media. Um, And it's like the common theme is like, you're doing something that you think that you should be doing or that you're good at doing, which is computer science or engineering, whatever. Um, But maybe it's not quite as like fulfilling. Um, So, you know, like people, and that's kind of like, the struggle of life, right, is finding a career that can be both challenging and fulfilling and it pays well, like, you know, doing recipes or like being a food content creator like that, you're, there's an uncertainty in that. And there's so many people who are trying to do those things. So like, it's understandable to be like hesitant to do it. But if that's like where your heart is, um, and that's clearly was the case for like all these, all three people that I've mentioned, like, um, there can be like success in it if you like work at it. But it's interesting to me, like, yeah, so the common theme was that there was a lack of fulfillment and also there was always a passion with food, like, and food is, like, such a thing that, like, everyone can connect with because we all need it to survive. Like, not everyone is, like, a foodie, quote-unquote, per se, but, you know, we all have to eat to to live. So, like, yeah, <laughs> I feel like it's a, it's a good way to connect with people because, like, it's always going to be a commonality between people. Um, but, yeah, also with them, though, is using their skills that they've already established in whatever career that they were in before so whether that be engineering or computer science and um, applying that to 
to food writing um, or food developing, recipe development or whatever it is that they do. Um, that's why sometimes I almost wish, I mean, I did have like a slightly different career when I worked in tech and I've also done like, like different types of writing, but sometimes I'm like, oh man, I wish I kind of like had another skill, you know, like something else up my sleeve where I was like a videographer or like something else that like, this is just me also being like, I need more skills. I need to learn more. Cause that's just, I don't know, like capitalism is frying my brain, but like, sometimes I'm like, Oh, I wish I had explored other avenues of things that could help me as a food writer now. I mean, well, I can definitely see you having like a TikTok account that is like centered around food and everything, but I could also see you having like a podcast eventually. I think some of the best podcasters are writers and um, just people in journalism in general um, because of the literally like just the fact that um, the skill of storytelling and Maybe on this episode, my storytelling is not as in order, but no, <laughs> it's like, but. yeah, I can see what you mean. I feel like, um, well, because journalists always have to ask questions too. Yes. Like good questions. So like, even in my like life now, like I'll find when I'm like hanging out with my friends that, or just like anyone in general, not even just like an acquaintance that I'll be like sometimes in this, like, I don't know transit moment of like where I'm not really like thinking and I'm kind of just like I feel like I'm in like interviewer mode and I'm just like wait like I am curious but I don't need to be that curious right now yeah you're you're like asking too many yeah, questions but they're fine with it you know because yeah yeah they want to know more yeah yeah they want you to know more yes but yeah no I love that I feel like every time I see your stuff either you're like in New York you're in LA you're here you're there I'm just like <laughs> girl <laughs> I was in New York like two weeks ago. It was really fucking cold. I was pissed off. Um, but that, yeah. Was that for I, food? I mean, for work or? Yeah, I like went, um, it was like kind of both. I went back cause I was like, I had to go to my office and like take care of some things, but also because I wanted to see some friends and like run around my favorite park, like a fucking weirdo. Um, oh, it's amazing. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. no, it was, it was, it was a little bit of both, but yeah. In an ideal world, I get to go back to New York more often, but we'll see. What are your other, I'm just curious, like what are your manifestations for your career? Oh my gosh. Well, I really, like I, we kind of talked about this, but trying to travel more, trying to do more food coverage that involves travel because that's just like, I don't know, a combination of like my two favorite things is travel and food. Um, manifestations I really would love to write a cookbook with my mom at some point um she's like she is such a good cook and she's so funny and like such a good storyteller and I I want to like cement these experiences that I've had with her growing up um into like a book form or something I can like always have with me because I feel like I like my grandma died when I was in third grade and I feel like there's so many recipes that I could have like used from her or like written down that I didn't um so I kind of have that feeling where I'd love to write a cookbook about my mom with my mom and also just kind of like like you and I were saying earlier like about my specific experience like as a Thai Angelino because there are some dishes that my mom and my grandma would make which was adapted from like whatever ingredients that they she could find in California so you know there's like different variations of Thai food that have like my mom's unique spin on them so I'd love to do that I'd love to write a fiction book one day that's like a pipe dream yeah those are my manifestations like like freaking cross your fingers for me all right oh, <laughs> I need yes. the good, yeah I need the good juju to make it happen I, and probably just like to actually do it I'm always like oh I would love to do this and then I'm like okay I'm gonna watch TikToks for two hours I mean <laughs> <laughs> literally it's I don't know what do they say it's all about balance and stuff you know yeah like yeah. you you I mean that motivation behind like the um, starting the cookbook with your mom literally like it's there it's just about like starting it right like yeah because you already have your reason your why and that's because you like weren't able to like have the same experience with your grandma so I'm just like I don't know I think I think it's just like so exciting like talking to more people who are like half this half that because um I don't know 
like growing up, I feel like I was a little bit whitewashed. So that's why I was saying in the beginning, that's like opposite for me. Like I identify yeah. so like so much with my Jewish side and like the culture and everything and like friends and all of that. I also went to Hebrew school, was forced into it, had all the things like now I'm yeah. like happy that I did it. But like, yeah, at the time I was just like, why? Um, I don't speak Hebrew, which I regret. I wish I did. We're trying to learn. Um, yeah. But are, is that on, is that on Duolingo? Yeah. Do they have, oh my God. Oh, yeah. Are you doing Duolingo? Yes, I am. I am. I literally am. Um, nice. Nice. Yes. Um, I'm also, I found out I'm like going to staff a birthright trip in June. So I'll oh be in God. Israel in June. How fucking fun. Anthony was telling me, he was like, oh, it's just the best. Like, it's so much fun. You have to go. And I'm like, oh, oh. my gosh. In the yeah, food. Really- the food. Yeah, exactly. So the food. Good. He was like, every single thing I ate was so good. And he was like, all the men were really hot. Yeah. And I was like, literally, Sign me up. you step <laughs> off the plane and you're like, what is going on here? <laughs> it's exciting. That's but- so fun. That's so fun. I don't know. There's so many thoughts. I'm like, one, it's exciting to talk to people who are half half and like who are like killing it in their things, but also like honing in and like leaning into like who you are as a person, not just like being a food writer, but being like Thai and growing Mm -hmm. up with like the influences of like your family and like traveling. And I think it's so cool just that like you said, everyone has their own individual story and their own individual experience and no story or experience is the exact same as another person. So even though sometimes like the industry or social media feels like saturated, there's always space for you and space for anyone who wants to pursue creating a TikTok for food or becoming a food writer or I don't know I think it's also interesting because like I'm really trying to also like figure out how to help people who are literally like one year out of school or like I don't know maybe even if they're doing a career change like someone who is like um, some yeah. other kind of profession and they're like I love food so much and I want to be a food writer but I don't know how where to start I don't know how to like get into that besides like the cold pitching and all of that type of stuff I don't know I'm just I'm so curious about that and I I want I bet everyone yeah. else is too <laughs> yeah like how do you how to like weasel your way in <laughs> yeah like literally like how do you like start like do you like go for like a Trader Joe's like type of article or do you like try to figure out like what your niche is and like leaning into yourself and like getting that pitch out to someone in order to get the byline. Yeah. Actually, that's interesting that you asked me that because I had someone like very recently email me, um, kind of to ask, well, they emailed me their pitches, but their pitches were so, so like weak. And I'll, I'll explain why, like the Trader Joe's thing, anyone can write that story. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like that's something that I, I get assigned because it's like easy to do and it's like good for like SEO, but only I can write the story about growing up and eating Thai food at the temples in Los Angeles and London and whatever. Um, And maybe only you can write the story about like having the specific dish in Israel or something like, I don't know. Um, So I would say like for people who like do really want to be a food writer or, or a recipe developer, you know, like lean into the thing that only you can do. I think that's going to be the most compelling thing for editors. Cause if you're just pitching like the best margaritas for Cinco de Mayo, like it's like, well, anyone can write that story. Anyone can look up like the best restaurants in, in San Diego to, I don't know. Um, but only someone specifically can write about like, I don't know, this Tijuana style dish has crept its way across San Diego. And I grew up eating it. Like, I don't know. I just made that up, yeah. but you, you know what I mean? Like, like these like niche stories, um, they're so compelling because it's like taking people. So for people who haven't experienced it, it's like you're getting a whole new point of view of something that like, it's like a curiosity thing, you know, like I'm curious about things that I haven't gotten to experience. Like <laughs> this is so stupid, but like I really did not grow up with any sort of like Midwestern foods or like things that are like, I don't know, quote unquote American. Like I didn't know what a cheese ball was until um like I was in my twenties and I've never had like a casserole until I was in my twenties. So things like that, I have like a weird fascination for them. So like, say you're like a writer that grew up in like Wisconsin and there's like a particular type of like 
cheese curd. Like I, I I'm curious about that. Cause I want to know, like, and I haven't been around that. So like, what can you tell us? What can you add to the world that um, is different and uniquely you um, that will be the most compelling stories. And, you know, like, like you said, like we're all multifaceted people. Like I am a food writer, but I'm not just a food writer. Like I do, there's only, like, I'm, I like to crochet. I like to make Thai food. I like to cook. I like to read. Like we are all like so many other things aside from our careers. So like, even if you're like stuck in your, I don't want to say stuck in your engineering role because I'm sure you're making tons of money or whatever, but stuck in a role that you're, you're not happy with. Like there's ways in which to like apply those skills and then think about how you can do something beyond. Even if it's like, um, gosh, there was this really interesting story. I think it was came out of ESPN or something. It was like a, a sports writer, but they were writing about how the NBA had this like crazy peanut butter and jelly sandwich thing where like every single stadium would prepare peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in a different way. Some of them use grape jelly, some use strawberry jelly, but all the players were like obsessed with peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I'll send you the story. Fuck it's so yeah. good. That's also awesome. it's like, I love that. Yeah. It's like, it's different. Writer. It's so different. Yeah. Like random, but different, you know, like you don't, exactly. not everyone knows about this stuff. Yeah. So it's like, anyone can do, like you can find a way that it pertains to you and it's still, yeah. So that was like sports writing, but food, you know, fashion, but food. Um, yeah. The, I don't know, find your point of view and like stick with it because no one can take your point of view away from you. Okay, doke. So ending off, where can everyone find you on all the things? Okay. Yes, I am on Instagram, Twitter, and I am on TikTok, although I don't I haven't made one in weeks, but um, it's Kat Thompson with a K, K-A-T-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N-N. So two N's. It's really funny because there's this other person named Kat Thompson who is a like celebrity hairstylist so every so often I get like tagged in her like she always does um the hair and makeup for the girl from um to all the boys I love before the Laura Jean girl okay so I'm always like tagged in her photos I'm like wrong Kat Thompson but like I'm happy for her like <laughs> but yay yeah. thank you so much for coming on I really appreciate yeah. it <laughs> thanks for having me sorry that I talk so fast and so chaotically but I hope that people can glean something from this hopefully oh a thousand percent no literally like I'm just like gems 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 if you take anything from this episode lean into who you are you're an individual and no one can tell the story like you can because no one's lived the life that you've lived you're 100% right nailed it all right we can close out now (laughs) all right